church, I just have to start off by saying what an amazing weekend we had this past weekend. Last Thursday and Sunday marked the first weekend of our relaunch as a church. We were believing in God for big things, and boy, did he deliver. As you well know, this past year and a half hasn't been the smoothest. Uh, As the world grew increasingly topsy-turvy, as Christians, we knew that God remained ever constant. The way that we lived our lives may have been radically shaken, but Jehovah Jireh, one of the names of God from the Old Testament, meaning the Lord will provide, he was not shaken. When we came to realize how little control we had of our lives, we as Christians took comfort in the stability and control that encompasses our God. And it's that comfort found in the God who never changes that just reignited the passion that's always been at the core of New Hope Church to do anything and everything to be active participants in God's work of reaching out and saving the lost. We have been in a season of intentional planning to partner with with you, the church, to reach people in our community. And we have pressed into this idea that we find in scripture that every single member of the church should be working on bringing their one into the church, praying for them, inviting them, and walking alongside of them. We had 21 days of prayer and fasting, which then culminated in a night of worship and prayer where we went fervently before the Lord, asking him to do what only he can do, and that's to perform the heart change in our ones that would open them up to the God who simultaneously never changes and yet changes everything. The Bible shows us repeatedly that there are seasons of fasting, period, Periods of of self-denial meant to remind us that our dependency is on him alone. But the Bible is also super clear, showing us that there are, in addition to times of fasting, times of feasting, times when God's people celebrate who he is and what he's done. And well, New Hope Church, we are in that season. And the feasting started last weekend as roughly 8,000 people came to the physical campuses of New Hope Church to celebrate God and his works with us. That number represents our church family and our ones who we have been praying over and inviting. That number is exciting as we consider the future of our church. That number is also awesome for another reason, and that's that heaven erupts in rejoicing and celebration over one lost sinner who by the grace of God is found and repents. So in that larger number, we know that there are so many stories of exactly that, of God getting a hold of one person at a time and their lives being transformed on account of it. So thank you, New Hope Church. Thank you for being a part. Thank you for doing the work of praying and inviting and walking alongside. And thank you in advance as we continue celebrating over this next season, as God continues to provide. Do me a favor and just light up the comment section thanking everyone who has been a part of the relaunch and the work isn't done yet. 
there's actually just far too many groups and individuals to even begin highlighting all the contributions that were made in our relaunch. So I'm just going to say it broadly for everyone who has been a part. God honors those who walk in obedience, and may he bless you for your diligence. We know that your work will not be in vain. The Lord of the harvest will continue to provide. Okay, well, I guess at some point I should actually get to today's parable. Uh, we're actually going to be in Luke chapter 16 today. Luke chapter 16. We're going to be reading what at first glance can be a confusing parable, where it seems that we are exalting a person of, we'll, we'll call it questionable character. In fact, in my Bible, the, the ESV, the version I'm reading, it calls this section the parable of the dishonest manager. Yours may call him uh, the unjust steward or, or maybe the shrewd manager. And really, I would say that amongst all the adjectives, dishonest, unjust, shrewd, shrewd not being very common in, in kind of modern language, at, at least for me, it seems like it comes across as the most innocuous of the descriptors. After all, I think about um, in Matthew 10, 16, Jesus says that he is sending us out as sheep among wolves, and that we ought to be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Other, other translations say as wise as serpents. So shrewd, wise, wisdom is to be admired and emulated. I, I buy that. But actually, it's, it's funny. It's translated into the word shrewd, and the, the etymology of the English word shrewd actually comes from saying that it's something that's to be evil in nature or character. So still not a good adjective, what in the world can we learn from this type of a person? Why, why, are, we, why are we studying this? Well, we're going to read to find out, but I'll also give you a warning. And that's that Jesus, as he is wont to do, uh, has packed this parable with hard truth that we could all benefit from hearing. So we're going to pay special attention today. Again, Luke chapter 16, we're starting at, right at the top at verse 1. It says, he, that, that's Jesus, he said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. So the scene is set. There's the rich man someone who's rich enough to have a manager to tend to his wealth. In fact, not only does he not attend to his wealth personally, but he doesn't even attend to his manager personally. He's been informed of his manager's or steward's malfeasance by a third party. Someone has brought up charges that the manager has been wasting his possessions. We aren't told exactly what the nature is of this waste, but from the unfolding story, we can see that these charges are not baseless. As we're about to see, his reaction is not, is not that of defending his innocence, but instead he's planning his next move having been caught. But before we get into that, before we get there, just a reminder, Jesus told these parables to illustrate truths and to open up the eyes of those who would listen. This parable in particular will serve as an illustration of, of lesser and greater, which we'll talk about more in a moment, but it's also a cautionary tale. And that's where it's, it's a tale for all of us. Because we 
like the manager, are stewards of great treasure, the gospel. And we, like the manager, can fall into the trap of thinking that we are not being watched closely how we are stewarding. But make no mistake, just like for this manager, the day is coming when we're going to give an account. And if that doesn't give you pause to consider how you are stewarding the things entrusted to you, then I think you're in danger of missing the point of what Jesus is telling us today. So keep all of that in mind. We're going to continue picking up in verse 3. It says, And the manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from this management, people may receive me into their houses. Again, the, the manager seems to acknowledge that he is firmly in the wrong and that this is now the hour of his comeuppance. He quickly does an inventory of his own skills and abilities. He says, I'm not cut out for manual labor. And he refuses to, to sink from his station in life all the way down to begging. So he hatches a plan to use this little bit of time that is left before everyone learns that he's been removed from his management position in order to position himself into a place of favor with the people who owed his master debts. So the, the parallel for this is that uh, of the squanderer of God's grace, who's not walked in obedience and is staring down the judgment, who then takes inventory of what skills or abilities they possess that could possibly get them out of their circumstance. But the key difference is that for that person, the squanderer of God's grace, there is no scheme to be hatched that will save them. The parallel ends at this point. The sinner's only chance is to be found in Jesus. As the old hymn says, Rock of ages cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Literally, Jesus, open up and let me in that I can hide in your safe harbor. Nothing in my hands can I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. And while the parallel ends here, the parable continues with much still to garner. Continuing in verse 5, he says, So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, So take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, How much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. So the plan that he came up with is to, to gain favor from these debtors by cutting their debts in half. It's estimated that we're talking about just the amount that he cuts out of, of their debt, um, it being more than three years of a, a single person's wages of oil, up to 10 years of a single person's wages of wheat. Certainly, the manager has a long list of other debtors who he treats similarly, garnering favor. So going from wasting the possessions of the rich man to now giving away the rich man's wealth by canceling debts, this is where we would expect retribution on behalf of the rich man. But we pick up in verse 8. It says, The master commended the dishonest man manager for his shrewdness. He commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. 
For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. What? In an unforeseen and incomprehensible twist, Jesus tells us that the master actually commends the manager. Is Jesus really telling us a story that this is how a Christ follower should behave? Or how are we supposed to interpret this? Well, this is where the focus of this parable turns to that of, of lesser and greater. So just as we saw back in the parable about the importunate widow who wore down the unjust judge asking for, for, for justice on her behalf, her incessant pleading, and therefore that tells us that if, if that's the, the judge there, that our God, who is just and so much greater, is going to be more greatly moved by our prayers, just that as that lesser and greater, we see that if the sons of this world can be so shrewd in dealing with temporal things, how much more wise, forward-thinking, and intentional ought the sons of light be? I will say that Jesus actually presents this as an admonition. He says that he too often sees that the fervency, intentionality, grit, or hustle of those working for material wealth and position outmatches or outpaces that of those who, who claim to understand the significance of heavenly pursuits. So he expands on this in verse 9. He says, And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. So Jesus refers to it as unrighteous wealth, not because there's an assumption that all wealth or money is ill-gotten, or, nor because money is inherently evil. In fact, let me tell you something. Money is just a tool, and it can be no more inherently evil than a hammer or a drill. He refers to it as unrighteous because it belongs to this passing world, and it cannot live up to what unrighteous people purport it to be, namely a means to salvation or eternal significance. Money is just not going to be that in the long term. He tells us to make friends for ourselves by means of this unrighteous wealth. But unlike the steward in the story, our friends, made by this money, will welcome us into eternal dwellings. So that's to say that these are friends who will welcome us in heaven. He's calling us to use our wealth to evangelize. The Christ follower understands that the reason that we are entrusted with anything, be it skills, physical wealth, platform, power, talent, or our very lives, the reason why we are entrusted with that is that we can share the good news of our God, who so loved us that he sent his only begotten son to die for us, to rescue us from the punishment that we earned for ourselves. We're given the very air in our lungs that we may praise him and that others may hear that praise and come to a saving knowledge of him. We exist to know Christ and to make him known. And on the other side of the veil of this mortal world, we will share in eternal dwellings as a result of what we do with our material and unrighteous wealth. So we're to make these friends by means of unrighteous wealth so that when, not if, your wealth fails, as it says, 
when not if your wealth runs out, when not if your wealth can no longer help you because you're no longer bound to this earthly realm, you will be received by those who have gone before you and reside in heaven. Use your earthly wealth, your earthly talents, your earthly gifts, your earthly time, your earthly position, your earthly power, and your earthly opportunity to store up for yourself treasures in heaven, as Jesus tells us in Matthew 6.20 in the Sermon on the Mount. But he continues on in verse 10. Verse 10, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. So Jesus here strips away the excuse that we can sometimes make for ourselves. I don't have enough of any of those things to make a difference. Or I, I would give more if only I had more. Jesus here says character, not circumstance, determines faithfulness. Character, not circumstance, determines faithfulness. Those who are faithful with little will be faithful with much. Remember the, the poor widow who gave out of her poverty everything that she had because she understood the stakes. She was storing up great treasure for herself in heaven, using what little she had to advance the kingdom. Notice also that, that in this section, Jesus makes extremely clear that the purpose of the parable was not to condone or promote the behavior of the dishonest steward. He lays it out plainly, saying that those dishonest and little will be dishonest and much. The point, as we've already established, is that if the sons of this world can act with such concern and fervency to lay up their earthly and temporal treasure, if they're willing to go for broke, to double down, to put all their chips in the pot, how much more should we, Christians, sons of light, put it all on the line for treasure that neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. As beneficiaries of the good news of Jesus Christ, we should give our all to proclaim that good news using whatever earthly tools we possess. As the noted evangelist Dr. Niles, who gave his life faithfully spreading the gospel in Asia, said, Evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Then Jesus brings it all the way home for us in verses 11 and 12. It says, If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? So not only does our level of faithfulness with the things that we are stewards of reveal our character, but it portends what, will be, what we will be entrusted with in the future. This unrighteous wealth, this earthly opportunity, allows us, gives us the opportunity to show that we might be faithful with real riches like that of heaven. As stewards, we don't actually own any of it. We watch over what belongs to our Lord and Master, but he offers us something that could be our own. So let us prove ourselves faithful to receive it. But lest we think that that's something that we walk in our own power to do, let me also remind us that we can do nothing apart from God. 
God wants to see our faithfulness, but he also supplies all we need in order to walk in obedience by the power of his spirit. See, God is our father who is rooting for us and desires our success. I think of my own kids who are always growing and therefore their own responsibilities grow. In fact, my oldest son, Zeke, just turned 10 years old yesterday, and I'm just so honored and privileged to get to watch him steadily grow more and more into the man that God is calling him to be. But life gets harder, though. More is given to us as we grow, and therefore more is demanded of us. School gets harder. There's more work. There's more responsibilities around the house. But he doesn't have to walk that alone. I, his earthly father, am rooting for him and desire his success, just as our heavenly father does for us. Being a good steward doesn't mean knowing the best course of action at every single impasse. Being a good steward means working hard to do our best, leveraging what we have to gain more, taking our tasks and responsibilities seriously, and always seeking to bring glory to our master, Jesus Christ. And at New Hope Church, we are a team who aspires to nothing greater than that. We have been so, so blessed, and our duty is to share that blessing. We're to know Christ and to make him known, so thank you for being a part of that mission. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll head out into that mission field. Heavenly Father, we come before you, as always, humble and grateful. God, we're humbled that for no merit of our own, you have chosen us as, as stewards of your mercy and your grace. We are grateful that you equip us for every good work and only ask for us to walk in obedience. So God, we ask for your spirit to make his home in us, that we might act with the same fervor as the sons of this world, storing up treasure, but God, that we would be storing up not earthly treasure, but heavenly treasure, that we would be using our resources to not make earthly friends who may be of help to us material, but that we would use our resources to make kingdom impact, that we may be received in heavenly places. God, thank you for providing us with a church home and a church family that gets it. We continue to pray over the leadership of our church, over the pastors, the team members. We especially pray over Pastor Tim that he would not grow weary in doing good. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, New Hope Church family, thank you again for letting me open up God's word with you today. Our relaunch has only begun. Continue praying for and inviting your ones. We'll be back at the movie series again this weekend. Join us on Thursday for our TNT Devo. Get signed up to help us for week four of the movie series with our car show and our grill out. I can't wait to worship with you again. I love you, New Hope Church. Until next time.